All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Now, shall we read from verses 1 to verse 6? Ephesians chapter 1, from verses 1 to 6, reading. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us according adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us turn to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us in thy house tonight, for thy grace and thy goodness through the week that have seen us through till today. Lord, we come asking once again for cleansing, for washing in the blood of Christ, Knowing, O God, we have sinned against you in many ways in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Lord, we seek thy forgiveness and show to us wherein we have sinned, that we may acknowledge, confess, and bear the fruits of repentance. Even now, Lord, we pray that you would grant to us concentration on your word, remove the tiredness of the week and the day's work, that we may learn much to understand how we are in Christ and through Christ, and because of him alone, Lord, we have communion of the saints. So, Lord, we do pray also for every group that is studying your word tonight. Help the facilitators, help the teachers of thy word to feed your sheep. And, Lord, we pray that we will learn much. And above all, grant to us obedient hearts that we want to live lives that will glorify our Saviour. Help us, O Lord, now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tonight, the topic is on the communion of saints. Now, what is the communion of saints? Why is it important? Why is it important? Okay, so let's, let's look at the communion of saints. The communion of saints. Let's read point number one of WCF, chapter 26. One, two, reading. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by His Spirit, and by faith, have fellowship with Him in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection and glory and being united to one another in love they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties public and private as to conduce to their mutual good both in the inward and outward man now as we all understand uh, but there are some new among us this series is on the Westminster Confession of Faith. The Westminster Confession of Faith were written by a group of men um, who searched the scriptures and systematically put together our understanding of the Christian faith and living. Right? That is why we are going through this. Though these are the writings of men, but they are very um, systematically put together with much support of scriptures. In other words, they read scriptures, they understand the topic, and they summarize it for us. Alright, so I hope you understand why we are studying this. And it's very useful because it is an age, a day and age where few truly understand the faith 
Um, not to mention, um, there are many false teachings that have confused many Christians. So I hope you understand the usefulness of um, this series uh, written by the Westminster um, Confession of Faith, um, the people that got raised for this work. Alright, so now what is this communion of saints? We just read the first one. All saints are united to Jesus Christ by their head, by His Spirit. Uh, Jesus Christ, their head, by His Spirit and by faith. Now, what is communion? So this topic is about the communion of saints. What is communion? Why is it important to understand this? Look at question number one. So I do need us to have um, a clear understanding and definition in our heads at least. What is communion? Actually, anyone want to guess? We read the whole, we read the whole um, uh, point number one. You should be able to gather some key words from there. Uh, ben, Ben Khan. What do you think communion is? Fellowship. fellowship. Very good. So you see the words, the word repeated there, fellowship. Uh, fellowship. So one of the, one of the um, characteristic of communion, what it entails is fellowship. Fellowship. What else? What else do you think it is? Um, Vincent. Unity, very good. So you see, all sins are united, right? All sins are united. So there is unity involved, being connected. In other words, united, connected to others. Um, what else? So you see the word united, repeated also. What else? What do you think, Alex? So it gets more difficult. Very good. There is service and duties. There are service and duties involved. Hmm? So when you read, there is, um, we are obliged to perform such duties. So there is service. There are duties. Yes, very good. And what else? All this, communion, for what purpose? For what purpose? What do you think? Uh, Valerie. Say again? Oh, jump to that far. Always for the glory of God. But be more specific here before we go there. What, what is this um, fellowship, being connected to, um, serving, performing duties? Is to do what? For what purpose? Howard? Very good. There is mutuality, alright? So there is the mutual good. Mutual good. Mutual good. Okay, so in here you will see, um, actually there's one more. There's one more. Um, Jason. One more aspect. One more aspect. I give you a clue. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces. What do you think that means? Because they use the word here, communion. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Give up. Give up. Um, Sujin? Help. Um, there were services and duties. Yes, you can, we can put help. But what is the meaning of communion in each other's services, each other's gifts and graces? Say again. Mutual edification, yes, that is the mutual good part. There is sharing, 
There is sharing. Alright? We have communion in each other's gifts and graces. So you have gifts from God, you have graces from God, and we have communion with those. In other words, there is the mutual sharing. Alright? So what gifts do you have? Um, it is to be shared. People will benefit in that, your gifts. Example is possession. Hmm? Um, Christian's possessions. God says that we have communion in each other's possessions. So yours is mine and mine is mine. <laughs> we'll see more about that. All right, that's the sharing. The sharing. So this word communion has many aspects to it. When we say the communion of saints, you're thinking about all this, united with, um, connected to, having fellowship with, sharing, there are duties present, there are um, helping, mutual good, um, services to one another. So those are the areas when we say communion. So when we say communion of saints, those thoughts come to mind. Now, I ask another part. Who are referred to in this communion of the saints? Who are referred to? Think very carefully. This is a tough one. Eugene. Deacon Eugene. Who are referred to when we say communion of saints? The title is, say, is of communion of saints. Communion with who? Say again. Christians and? With Christ. Very good. Very good. Now, actually, right, right from the beginning, it begins with, when it comes to communion of saints, we are talking about all saints are united to Christ. To Christ. So the communion of saints is to Christ, as well as and being united to one another, right? There are two parts to this, after the full stop. So one is to Christ, one is to one another. So when we think of communion of saints, we must not just think of our fellowship one with another. So maybe I try to use um, some drawings to help us follow. So when we say communion, communion of saints, you notice that we have a new pen. My writing is not so ugly. <laughs> the previous one was really tough. So when we say communion, so we have saints, alright? Let me see how best to draw. So we have saints. Now just now we read Ephesians chapter 1, right? The word saints are mentioned. So we have saints. People like to draw saints like that, I don't know why. Why? Saints. Maybe it's not good. Saints. So we have believers. Actually, um, next week I will ask, but I'll just ask now, what's the meaning of saints? Anyone remember the meaning of saints? Uh, um, Hannah, saints. The Bible always used the word saints. We read just now Ephesians chapter 1, saints. What are saints? Say again. Those who are saved. All right, the saved ones. Now, saints, in fact, the, Hebrew, the Greek word, the Greek word simply the Greek word is simply the Greek word we get the same word for holy alright holy uh, we get the word holy we get the word saints what's the meaning of holy now this one is so easy now uh, Brother Douglas holy means called out or set apart right we are called out 
called out, set apart. Alright, so saints are the people that are set apart, set apart by God. So when we say we are saints, we are people that are set apart. We are holy. We are set apart. Set apart for who? Set apart for for God, right? We are set apart from the set apart from the world. Set apart from the world to God. That's why we call saints. Understand that word clearly. That's why when we say communion, we have to understand communion is the, the saints with Christ. First, we are set apart from the world to God. Saints are set apart from the world towards God. So we have communion with God. Okay, we have communion with God. And then we also have communion. Try to use different color. Then we have communion with each other. So there is the vertical, right? There is the vertical communion and there is the horizontal communion. Okay, so whenever we say communion of saints, please don't just talk, think of our fellowship one with another. In fact, communion of saints, in order to understand it, in order to really understand and have true meaning to your life, first we got to understand our communion, our connection to Christ, first of all. If you don't start there, if you don't understand that is the basis for communion with one another, we will go wrong. We will go wrong. Alright? So, so this is the first part we have to understand. Now look back at your um, notes. Chapter 24 notes. So first of all, it says all saints are united to Jesus Christ. They are head. They are head. I ask question number two. So first of all, let's understand our communion with Christ first. Huh? Have a very clear understanding of that. Now, how is the believer united to Christ as our head? So it's very straightforward, right? Shalomia. You just look here. How are we united to Christ, our head? Point number one. By? Point number one. By who? By his? Very good. We are united. So the believers are united to Christ by his spirit. Alright? By his spirit. Now please turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. I do hope that we understand our salvation and how we are in communion with Christ very clearly. Now remember we are doing Bible study, right? I hope you are interested in details. God gives us much details about how we are in Christ. So we should not be uninterested. I just want to, I just care that I'm going to heaven. That's all. Christ gives us the details to stir us. All right. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 1. First of all, how does a person become a saint? All right. Just now, Hannah said a saint, saint is the, are the saved people. Correct. So saints are the saved ones. So saved ones. How does God save us? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Now, first of all, God says in uh, verse 3, he summarizes. Now, we are going to, we are blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You no notice the word in, verse, in um, verse 1 is to the saints. To the saints. And how are the saints blessed? 
in verse 3, we are blessed in heavenly places in Christ. So, in Ephesians chapter 1, you begin to see that the, be the believer, the truly saved person, is in Christ. That's why we have communion with Christ. And that is our com commu communion, the, our blessing with communion, uh, in, our blessing in communion with Christ. Then verse 3, how are we saved? How are the saints made saints? Verse 4, we are chosen before the foundation of the world. We studied that in detail. How are you saved? Do you realize that before the foundation of the world, God chose you? God chose you. And then it says that we should be holy. Verse 4, should be holy. This word holy is the same word as saints. So we should be holy, set apart. Set apart. And then verse 4, he predestinated us for the adoption of children. He made us children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, so God says, I chose you, I set you apart, and I predestinated to save you. But you are not saved yet. Please understand that. You are not saved yet at this point. God chose, God said, I will save, I predestinated you. Christ came, right? Through Christ. Christ came, Christ died for your sins. Are you saved through election and predestination and Christ dying, are you saved yet? Hmm? So God chose before the foundation of the world, this is the world, huh? God chose you, God chose you, and then God predestinated that you'll be saved. Then Christ came into this world, Christ came into this world. So here is, I say Mabel, alright, Mabel. Alright, Mabel. So Mabel was born into this world. And God before the foundation of the world said, Mabel, I will save you. All right. Then Christ came 2,000 years ago, correct? Some 2,000 years ago. And then Christ died for you. Now, Mabel, are you saved by that? Are you saved just because Christ came? That's a tricky question. Very good. He has elected you before the foundation of the world. He did come to, to finish the work of salvation. Then you were born. But at the time you were born, you were not saved yet. Correct? You're not saved, although you're elected. At what point were you saved? When? Say again. When you confessed, when, when you confessed, when, when you confessed and repented of your sins. Now, so you confessed and you wanted to repent. You accept Christ. Okay, let's, let's look, right? Let's look at how we were saved. So, please understand. Now, look at, so, so election occurred. And then, verse 10. Um, sorry. Okay, then verse 13. Let's read verse 13 together. In whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, how were you saved? After you heard. All right, after you heard. So, um, Mabel heard the gospel, right? Mabel heard the gospel. And 
the reason why Mabel would believe is because the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works in your heart, draws you, convicts you of sin. Without that, you will not want to confess, you will not want to repent. Right? And then you confess and you repent. And then the Bible tells us this work of the Holy Spirit, He comes upon, uh, He comes to us, He convicts us, and then we are sealed. Correct? We are sealed. Sealed means now we are a permanent child of God. Before that, God says, I chose. So it is at this point, then salvation in the sense of you coming to Christ, receiving Him as your God and Savior, asking Him to forgive you, happens. We are sealed. So now that is why the Westminster rightly informs us that we are, how are we united? How is the saint united to Christ and be in communion with Christ and be in Christ and be a safe child of God? It is by His Spirit. God the Father chose. God the Son came to finish the work. God the Holy Spirit seals us. And therefore, we are in Christ permanently. Okay? So understand how you become a saint. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ as your God and Savior? If not, you can't say, I'm a saint. Coming to church doesn't make you a saint. But Bible studies doesn't make you a saint. Saint is not someone who is very nice, very good, dressed, dressed in all white, and then um, talk like um, an angel. All right? It means, simply means you are a set-apart one. That God has set you apart. God saved you, cleansed you, and washed you with His precious blood, and the Holy Spirit sealed you. Okay? That is what it means. And of course, a saint should be holy. Of course, he should be holy. But being holy doesn't make you a saint. So if you have not asked the Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner, please forgive me, save me, seal me with your Holy Spirit, then all, all that has happened is you heard all these things, that's all. You will not turn to God. You continue to resist the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit keeps bring, drawing you to church. You come to church, not by chance. You come to church, you come to events. The Holy Spirit keeps drawing you, but every time you hear that you're a sinner, every time you hear only Christ can save, you need to turn to Him. You resist. You resist the work of the Holy Spirit. You resist. Okay, so Christ coming does not mean you are saved. Automatically. There is a time where you will turn to Christ. The Holy Spirit will work. The Holy Spirit will seal. And the work of salvation, uh, of, of making you a child of God, a saint, is, is complete at that point. Okay, it's complete at that point. But is your salvation complete? No. Okay, so Cheryl said no. Your salvation is not complete. Why? Why is your salvation not complete? No, I mean after, so is, is Mabel's salvation complete? Uh, uh, no, so, so now Mabel has already confessed, repented, the Holy Spirit sealed her. Is her salvation complete? Yeah, sorry. Is it complete? Complete. You think complete? What do you think? The question is, Mabel has confessed, repented, the Holy Spirit has sealed you, made you a child of God. You are a saint. Alright, so my question is, is your salvation complete? Completed? Hmm? Yes. 
Enough already, ah? you sure? <laughs> what do you say? Oh, Ben said not enough. Ben said not enough for you, Cheryl. Uh, not enough for you, Mabel, also. So when is it complete? Very good. Very good. Now let's look at, look at our point number one. Our point number one says, Now, we have fellowship with Him in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and what? And glory. And glory. So we are in the stage of we have received His grace, salvation grace, for example, right? Then we go through sufferings on earth. We'll talk about that afterwards. Then um, we experience the death of Christ when we um, are crucified with Him and we will have the resurrection and there is the glory, the glory. Alright, the, the glory. Now, so the believer's salvation, the believer's salvation is election. I don't know why it's so light. Can someone tell me why it's so light? Election, then what happens? Christ comes, and then justification. All forgot already. Election, is it justification? We believe in Christ, the point you ask, then you are justified, and then, very good, I hear some whispering, then sanctification. So, we are now, the point you get saved is here, correct? You are justified, you make a saint. And then the walk on earth is sanctification. And then when we die, we go to heaven. And then there is one day, there will be the glorified body, the glorification. Correct? The glorification. Okay, so that is complete salvation. Now I want to clarify, for the saint, the saint, when we say your salvation is complete at glorification, we are not saying if you die now, we are not saying that if you die here, you are going to hell. No. Right? It's comp- God's aim of salvation is, is glorification, is the, is the believer with him in heaven. Okay, that is his final goal. And on earth, living a life that glorifies him. Okay, so the end complete goal is here. Okay, so we are on the way there. We are on the way there. Now, for the saints, why do I explain all this? Because throughout this process, look here, throughout this process, um, here, throughout this process, okay, this is where the communion of saints is very crucial that you understand what it is. The communion of saints on earth is something that the Christian must not take lightly, the Christian must understand and make sure you live it. All right? The communion with Christ occurs here and the communion with Christ continues through here and of course into eternity. All right? So the communion of saints at this point is what we want to learn about here. Okay? But it begins with the communion in Christ, in Christ. Look at your questions. So how did we become, how, how did we come in Christ and Christ our head? This is 
um, the process. Now, what is the significance of Christ being our head and we being members of his body? Now, notice for the, for the communion of saints, notice for the communion of saints, black notice for the communion of saints um, the word head is used head the word head is used why do you think so now let's turn to Ephesians um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 for example Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Okay, now here it mentions that the believer after salvation are given gifts, and then verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now here it mentions um, the body, and we know, look at verse 15, shall we read verse 15 together? But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him which is the head even christ now christ the head so when it comes to the saints the communion of saints the bible describes christ as head and then there is body right there is body so that is how god tries to explain to us and we have to have that picture in our mind why is christ mentioned as head and why God wants to use the human body to talk about communion of saints. Now, first of all, as we know, um, Christ is the head. So this is Christ, Christ the head. Okay, Christ the head. And then the, who makes up the body? The Bible says us, the saints, correct? The saints. Huh? The saints. So, and so on 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 and so on. So, on. so saints, saints make up the body of Christ. So God says that um, in um, Ephesians chapter 4, now he says we are present, the saints are present here, and it is for the edification of the body. So, the Christian is first of all saved. God saves, Christ is the head, God saves you make, to make you part of his body. Understand that. Christ used the body to explain. Is a, a, a body without a head any use? No use. Is a head without a body any use? No use. So God says, this is my plan. So Christian, you must understand that you are part. The communion of saints is part of God's salvation plan. He saved you and he wants you to be part of the body. That is why no Christian can say, um, I don't need to be part of a church. I don't need to be part of the body of Christ. No Christian can say that. That is the purpose. And look at your question number two. I asked that question. What is the significance of Christ being our head? And we, his members of his body. What do you think is the significance? What do you think? Um, Benedict, why do you think God wants to use this example? Why don't you use anything else? Why he says the head and the body? Say again. We have him as authority. Very good. So authority. 
The picture is always, as you look at Ephesians chapter 4, the headship and the body is for the perfecting of saints. All right? Now, gifts are given. So, you are a saint in the body of Christ. Now, God says that He gives you He gives you gifts. And it's for perfecting this body. And the body takes direction from the head, correct? Each member of the body takes direction from the head. So, the, there is a purpose. The head gives a purpose. And that is for the glory of God, right? So, it's just as someone mentioned. The ultimate purpose of this body is to form, to bring man to see the glory of God. And that is the ultimate purpose, that is the direction from the head. Then every part of the body in here is supposed to meet this purpose of the head. The brain says, my purpose is to bring glory to God. And I save you to form you as my body. Okay? And each part is specially selected. The communion of saints in this body is crucial because if you do not understand that purpose, you don't even think it's important to be part of the church. You don't even think it's important to do anything at all. You think that salvation is purely to, to get you out of hell. That is all. But God says, no, I save you to make you part of the body. And in this communion of saints, you have a purpose to fulfill which is given by the head. So an example is, a head, the head says, I want the finger or I want the right hand to protect, to protect um, the head when a ball is thrown at the head. Then the hand performs that role. It's for the whole body's sake and for a particular purpose. So God says, I, save, I elected, I save you to make you part of a body, which is why we studied about the church, correct? Just before this chapter, no, the chapter before, two chapters before this, we study about the church. Remember the church, how many church, how many kinds of church there is? There is the universal church, am I right? That's the universal church. The universal church is made up of all true believers, correct? Universal church made up of all true believers. And then there is the local church. The local church has both true believers and unbelievers. Like in any church, our church today. Is everyone in BPCWA a true believer? Not necessarily, right? We have visitors. We have some who are Christians for a long time. Then later they realize, I, I take it as a religion. That's all. I didn't believe that Jesus is God. Um, so, so there is the universal church and there is the local church. So God is saying that I save you, bring you into the universal church. There is a purpose. And I also put you into a local church for a purpose. And you are not to live alone. How would you like, like God says in, um, in another example, now, how would you, what would you think of a body that is a head with one eye? Hmm? A head with one eye. Or a body that is a head with one eye and just one foot. Does it look like anything? No. God says, I make a body, 
of different parts. You are to make up that body. You cannot say that I do not want to be part of that body. God says, I save you, you do not have a choice. I put you into my body. And therefore, we must understand the communion of saints. So communion of saints connected, we look at our definition, connected to one another, there is sharing, there is um, uh, benefiting from each other, gifts and graces, there is um, fellowship and all that. Why does God write about it all the time? Because of this overall picture. All right, so Christian, I hope you understand that we do not take the communion of saints lightly. We cannot do that. We'd had a series with the combined fellowship where we kept talking about fellowship in church, the covenantal family, remember? Again and again. I hope that you can tie that to the picture here. Should you not, should a Christian live on his own and don't care about the other people in church? It is not natural. It is not supposed to be like that. God saved us, called us, sealed us, put us into the body. We cannot say, I don't care about this body. Imagine, imagine the right leg say, I really don't care about the rest of the body. Okay, I'm, I am not going to walk. And then the body says, I'm very hungry. We need to go to the shop and eat. Then the right hand also says, I don't really care. I just want to keep doing this. What is this? Play computer game, right? The thumb keep moving. I just want to do that. All right? The feet says, I just, want to, I just want to rest. The communion of saints remind us that we are part of a much bigger purpose and a much bigger, uh, and therefore we have responsibilities all right, to one another. You cannot say, I don't care. The feet cannot say, I don't really care if stomach, you are hungry. You can walk there yourself. The body needs the feet to walk. Eventually, if the feet don't do anything, the body will suffer, right? If the feet keeps saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to take direction from the head that is telling me, feet, walk. I don't want to. Then the body will suffer malnutrition. So you see, God used the example of the body to explain the importance of the communion of saints where you have duties and responsibilities, right? Okay, I hope at this point I take a quick... Um, a quick uh, summary to basically let you know why I drew all this. In fact, God is the one who drew all this. God says there is body, there is head. And what God is saying, the communion of saints, where you share, where you care, where you help, where you're interconnected, whether you believe it, whether you like it or not, whether you care or not, is important. Because without that communion of saints, Without the Christian living out the duties of the communion of saints, the body of Christ will suffer. Do you care? Well, we are safe for that. Now, let us move. Alright, so why do Christ... Question number two. Uh, why is the significance? The significance is that we, have, we are part of a much bigger purpose that is given by the head. And as members of this body, we are to, to serve the body. We are to serve the body. No individual member can say, I don't care. And I don't really care about the communion of saints. Okay? So if you do not bother to come to church, if as soon as church is over, you run off, that's what we talked about the last time. 
you don't really care to know about other people's life, then you have not understood salvation, you have not understood the communion, put God in salvation, put you into the body, make you part of the body, and to live for a purpose. Okay? Alright, so now we move further. Now, in order to um, understand our, our communion with one another, we have to understand our life in Christ. Okay, our life in Christ. Now, question number three. Now, what do fellowship with Christ in the following mean? What are the results? How should it affect your heart? Now, look at question, point number one of your Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 26. Still at the first part. So all saints are united, so all true believers are part of the body of Christ, who is our head. Now, by faith, sorry, I need to explain that, huh? by faith. We are sealed by the Spirit to be part of the body and by faith. What does it mean by faith? Sing yun. Sing yun. Yeah, sing yun. What does it mean? All right, we know that we are, we are part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit sealed us. We read the verses just now. But you are made a body of Christ by faith. What does it mean by faith? By believing in Christ, by believing. All right, faith is by believing. Now, I just drew all this for you. We read scriptures, then we talk about Christ the head, we talk about the body, we talk about different parts of the body. That's all in scriptures. We talk about God electing us, we talked about God saving us, convicting us of sin, and sealing us with the Holy Spirit. Now, you look at the drawing there. So I ask, Keziah, do you believe all this? Do you believe all this? Can you see the head? Not on this diagram. Can you see Christ? Do you see, have you seen Christ? Have you seen the body that, is, that God describes? The body of Christ? Well, there is, maybe there's physical church. We at least see a physical church. But have you seen Christ? No. But do you believe? Do you believe that God says, I, Christ is the head? I save you, I make you part of this body of believers, which the universal church you can't see also. Do you believe? You believe? Although you have not seen. Why are you so silly? Because people, unbelievers say that, right? You, have you seen God? No. You're so stupid to believe in something that you have not seen. Yes, the head, there's a body, right? When we go for evangelism, have you seen? Have you seen the Holy Spirit working, floating, working? No? So we talk about things that we have only heard about, that we've only read, correct? But you believe by faith. By faith. So it is by faith. Yes, you may sit there and maybe wonder, uh, all these things are just religion then you can't say that you are a saint, you can't say that you are put into the communion of saints in this body because you say, no, I do not have faith, I do not believe in all this. I believe it's just a religion, that's all. Then you're not part of this communion of saints. During the last evangelism, I um, spoke to a man from, I can't remember, somewhere from Europe, He's a very well-read man, all right? He knows a lot about different religions, very well-read, and he kept saying this, only evolution is true. 
religions are all just man-made, man's imagination. That's all. No one has seen it. No one has seen God. No one has seen the spiritual world. It's all just stories created by men. Okay, so he say, I believe only in evolution. Okay? What would you say to a man like that? He say, I only believe in evolution. What would you say? Howard, what would you say? When someone keeps saying, you believe, we are so silly. Believe in something that you don't see at all. I believe in evolution. And this is scientific. Evolution cannot be proven. And what else? Bible talk about creation. So, so you believe in creation, I believe in evolution. Hmm? So you're so silly, you haven't seen it before. Right? At the end of the day, it's about what? So I explained to him, have you seen evolution? Were you there when evolution occurred? Because see, you're not there when, when creation occurred. I say, well, you were not there during evolution. When evolution, if evolution were true, it, were you there when it evolved, when things evolved? Right? Until today, there's also no proof that anything has evolved. There's still different species. In fact, it is not scientific. It is just a theory. So I say, at the end of the day, you have not seen, neither have I. But it's about what? Faith. Your faith is in evolution. My faith is in God. We have, neither of us have seen. So ask him. Because ultimately, it's about faith. I said, now one day if you died, hmm? not, not if, one day after you die, now after you die, one day you die and then after death, and you found that God is true, God is real, and you stand before this almighty creator and God, who you say don't exist, and is just figment of man's imagination, and then your soul faces him. Now what would you say to him? Because I want to know, I'm curious, how do unbelievers think? And just, just like I anticipated, first he said that, well, I will apologize to him. Then, then he just thought for one second, then he said, no, 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 no. I will, I will challenge him. And I will say that he's a coward. And he is a bad God. Yeah? So, at the end of the day, when people do not want to believe this, they are, after death, you get a, you get a sense what they will think when they stand before God. When Christ comes in his second coming, there will even those that see him come from heaven and will still shake their fists at him and curse him, right? So it is about faith. So this is very true. How do you become part of the sainthood in that communion, in that community, simply by faith? Point number one. So I hope we have an understanding that it is we are saved by by what by grace through faith you simply put your faith in the grace of god that's it have you seen christ no well but at least historically christ is over and over again proven that he existed and no one has been able to prove his resurrection false by evolution no one has found an evolved species yet by the way, if, if it were true that 
Maybe this is another time when we cover it. If it is true that man evolved from monkeys, so he keeps saying we evolved from monkeys, then how come there are still monkeys around? How come? Uh? Did school answer that question? If we evolved from monkeys, then how come there are still monkeys? I do not understand. Why? Because? They didn't spring far enough. Yeah, maybe, that's, maybe they have an excuse. But I always wonder, and he kept saying there are new, new, new species found. I think you just use the word species. There are species by themselves. A fish is a fish. A fish doesn't, no fish, we have not seen any fish become a cat. Neither a cat become a bird. None, right? Um, well, anyway, so it's by faith. By faith. You, you choose by faith. And next, now we have faith and have fellowship with Him in His graces. So what does the Bible mean that we have fellowship with Christ in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory? What does it mean? So let us understand what it means. So you are in Christ. Do you know that the Bible says you fellowship with Him in these things? What does it mean? Do you care? You should care because this is your life on earth. Otherwise, God won't bother to put all these things in the Bible. Now, I hope you care, huh? otherwise, Bible should be only one verse. What is the verse? John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that's all I care. That whosoever believeth him should not perish, but everlasting life. That's all I care. Everything else that God says about me and my relationship with him, I don't really care. We cannot be like that. God spent most of the time explaining the rest to us. Okay, so now, what do fellowship with Christ mean when we say fellowship, of, fellowship with Christ in his grace? Well, number one, um, lesson to Ephesians 5.2. So many of these things are taken from Ephesians chapter 5, a very wonderful book. Um, I think I copied wrongly. Okay, Ephesians... Um, chapter 2 verse 5 okay Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 we read just now okay Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 even as we were dead in let's read together even as we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are ye saved so we partake in the we fellowship in the grace of Christ for our salvation by grace are you saved so our fellowship in Him, what we obtain from Him, the benefit we got from Him, how we are connected to God is purely by grace. Not any good works that we do. Okay, purely by grace. So we were dead in our sins, made a saint, revived, made alive, and made a saint because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, so that's one. But the other one, the other one, what is the other fellowship of the grace of Christ uh, mean? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Let's read together. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now this is the working power of Christ the enabling grace of Christ. So when we say we partake in the fellowship of Christ, first is salvation grace. Then after that, we've studied this enabling grace. Right? So we are 
fellowshipping in the power of Christ. The power of God is made available to the believer. This is what it means. We fellowship in His grace. That is why no Christian should ever say that I cannot overcome this sin. That is why no, no family should ever say, we can't do it. We can't live this Christian walk. Or I can't make this decision because it is too difficult. But God says in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, unto him that is able to do exceeding. Now look at all these very strong adjectives. Exceeding abundantly. Exceeding as if not enough, but abundantly above not enough, all that you can even imagine. And according to the power, whose power? Christ's power. And that work, this power works in us. So the Christian must know you have an infinite power source in you. When I say that, it's not I've got infinite power source to play football and never lose, play badminton and always win. It's not that kind of thing, all right? So some people like to quote all this and say, oh, um, let's pray this for our football team according to the power that works in us. Now here is all, all about spiritual blessings. Um, um, spiritual blessings from heavenly places. So it's, it is all about, look at chapter 1 verse 3, please. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Again what? As the communion of saints in Christ okay so now I hope that the picture begins to piece together the Christians fellowship in Christ is very important first it begins with salvation after that it it continues with the sanctification life enabling grace okay so now you understand the picture that I drew just now well, very slow Okay, so this is what I've been trying to explain. Chapter 1, there's salvation, justification. Then our communion in Christ when I walk on earth. The enabling grace. This is salvific grace. Salvation grace. Then we fellowship in the enabling grace. All the spiritual blessings to enable us to live this life of sanctification on earth. And this we all do because we are in Christ. Bless us with all spiritual blessings in heaven places in Christ. So Christian, we are called saints. We are called to be holy. The Christian cannot say, I don't want to live a holy life. I want to live a worldly life and I don't care about going to church. I don't care about being among God's people. I don't care about all this. God says, I give, after I save you, I will give you this, this, this power source, this enabling grace for you to live that life. But you say, I don't care about all this. All I want is to be top student. All I want is to be top manager. All I want to be is admired by men, live a worldly life. That's all I care. Then you don't, then we the software is very slow. Then this picture is not in our minds at all. Right? This picture is not in our mind. I do not know what picture you have in your mind. Maybe is that that maybe it's this picture. Maybe it's this picture. Right? But it's a distorted 
a distorted Christian life. That is what it is. This is a distorted Christian life. Okay, so communion of saints first begins in Christ. You are able to live that life because afterwards when we talk about the duties of the saints towards one another, then you must understand that I draw strength from Christ. I am in Christ. I have a communion with Christ. I can live that life. No family can say it's too difficult to, to, um, to bring up godly seed. It's too difficult to lead wife. It's too difficult to submit to husband. It's too difficult to be um, a godly Christian, a godly son, a godly father, a godly mother. No, God says you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You are able to. You have ex power exceeding abundantly all that before you ask and think. And you can be part of this body that can fulfill my purpose. Okay? Right, so I hope we are getting the picture being pieced together. Now let's move very quickly. So grace, so salvation grace and enabling grace. You fellowship with God in that. Sufferings. What about sufferings? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. So your communion with Christ includes this. Just in case that you, you think, oh, all power and all hunky-dory. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Shall we read together? One, two, reading. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ, Jesus, shall suffer persecution. Again, if you want to be living godly in Christ, the communion of saints with Christ, in Christ. You want to live a godly life? You will suffer persecution. You will. No Christian should go through this world thinking that, um, or put it the other way, when difficulties come as you live a godly life, you will suffer. God says so. Maybe as a godly father, um, it becomes difficult for you. Hmm? To be a godly father, your child doesn't want to obey. Um, or to be a godly mother, um, it is difficult. Or to be a godly child, if your parents um, are worldly, it's difficult. Or to be a godly worker at work, you will suffer persecution. People will make fun of you. To be a godly student in school, even maybe even more difficult. Children are now... Um, um, actually, the world is very anti-God, anti-Christ especially. Um, so you will suffer. But God says, as long as you are a communion, uh, sorry, a, a, for the sake, communion of saints in Christ, you will suffer persecution. Now, but what does, uh, what does the Apostle Paul says? Hmm? What does the Apostle Paul says? Let us turn um, to Philippians chapter three, verse ten. Like Philippians chapter three, verse ten. Philippians three, ten. Philippians 3.10, 1, 2, reading, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable into his death. Now look at some words. Now first of all, it talks about fellowship in his suffering, being made conformable to his death. This is fellowshipping. Remember just now we said 
part of communion one of the word is fellowship correct now this the apostle paul says i want to know christ i want to know christ i want to know the power of, of his resurrection what does his resurrection power have when god says power exceeding abundantly above that which you ask or think that is the power of his res his resurrection power the fellowship of his sufferings and he said i want to fellowship in the sufferings of christ the christian that walks in communion with christ you will fellowship with his sufferings do you look forward to that when you suffer difficulties persecutions um, trials because you are a godly christian you're communing with christ walking in him paul says he looked forward to that he actually wants that most of us avoid avoid suffering right who says i want to fellowship in your suffering someone sees you in bed suffering you come wow how do you feel huh? i also wish they stick all these needles in me i want to experience that right? we avoid suffering we avoid suffering but god says for the saint for the saint the fellowship of his suffering is something that is something we look forward to why you look at chapter philippians um, 3 10 it says that i may know him that i may know christ the saints communion in christ is knowing him through his suffering i think some of you recently went through some difficult things and one or two of you said well now you know i have a small glimpse of how christ suffered for me children when you begin to understand how much your parents suffer for you i hope you begin to love them a bit more and more and more and more um, it is only when we when we experience men abandoning us then we remember how all the disciples abandoned him right when people abandon you, you say why am i suffering all this then you just say the communion of saints in christ I experience now begin to understand what it what Christ feel a little bit we can never compare to his sufferings right but you remember that night when all turned away from him um, the Apostle Paul felt that in the later part of his ministry when he walked faithful many rejected him then he said wow I begin to understand I fellowship a bit with Christ's sufferings right the churches began to accuse him the churches began to abandon him then he knows that is what the disciples did to Christ. When you suffer pain, physical pain, the pain that Christ suffered on the cross cannot be, we can't compare to that. I described some of this during Easter service, remember? Cannot compare. Um, I remember I had an operation and just a, just a small, those keyhole surgeries. When I got, I was awake for a few seconds out of um, general anesthesia, I cannot forget the pain. Today, I still can remember that very excruciating pain. And I was thinking, Christ's back was a, a million times worse than that one keyhole thing that I had. Then I remember how much he suffered. And he just bore it and he bore it silently like a lamb for us. That is why the communion of saints with Christ is very meaningful. When Christ allowed you to suffer, when Paul suffered, when the apostles suffered, they rejoiced because they say we are counted worthy to suffer for our Lord. So Paul says, I look forward to these things. You lose your job, you lose your health, you, you suffer difficulties in life. 
Then you say, the communion of saints with my Saviour. I love him more. And then I think, Lord, how much more you suffered for me. Lord, I love you more. Right? So his sufferings. Don't run away from sufferings. Christians, communion of saints in Christ. There are two parts, right? Communion of saints in Christ, communion of saints with each other. Communion of saints in Christ. God repeatedly says, we will suffer. Don't run away. You run away because you compromise. If I don't compromise, if I live like that, I do the right thing, I know I will suffer in school, at work, at home. I know I will suffer. But God says, don't run away. They that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. And that it will be your glory. That will be your, that will be your glory. Now, how do we know that? Can you turn to... Um, can you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12? Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Shall we read together? 1, 2 reading. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So if we suffer, we will reign with him. There is a promise. Christ said, you live rightly, you live godly, you live according to my commandments, whatever it costs you, you will reign with me. You will reign with me. Hmm? There are different rewards as we study in the Bible, and God says there are different rewards. So you will reign with him if you suffer with him. All right, so now next. Um, for time's sake, I'll just move quickly. Death. Suffer uh, with his death. Romans 6, 5 to 6. Alright, Romans 6, 5 to 6. Now I just read to you. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been planted together like in the likeness of his death, so you're planted in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him in the body of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. So God says, you crucify, you die with Christ, crucify the flesh. You'll be resurrected like him, you will suffer his, you suffer the death of Christ, right? Crucifixion of the flesh. And then he says, henceforth we should not serve sin. So what do we learn about the fellowship of saints in sufferings? What do we learn about the fellowship of saints in the death of Christ? Crucify your flesh is don't serve sin don't serve sin the fellowship of saints with christ is about crucifying the flesh and not serving sin anymore lord the sins that i love that i used to love lord i did not realize i did not understand that they were not supposed to be part of my communion of saints life with you All right so the christian is supposed to crucify the flesh now, this is not salvation by works. Right? It's not saying you crucify your flesh and then you get saved. This is after salvation. After salvation. Now, then we also, Romans 6.5, just now, resurrection is in Romans 6.5 also. Um, in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, that is the wonderful promise. Do you believe that? Christian, if you go through difficulties, you go through trials, you don't want to live for Christ. Remember this, there is the resurrection. 
there will be one day where your body will be resurrected again. There's a real physical resurrection of the dead, of the believer. That is why we should not fear death. We should not bother about any sufferings. We only bother about obedience to Christ. Because no matter what men do to you, what's the worst they could do to you? Kill you? Burn your body? Crucify you? But God says, you will be raised like Christ. There's the physical resurrection. Now remember, all this communion of the saints with Christ is supposed to stir you, is supposed to strengthen you to live for Christ. How do we know that? Now, the Apostle Peter is the best example, right? The Apostle Peter denied Christ three times, correct? Denied Christ three times when a big burly giant Roman soldier with a big, a big sword going to him and then he denied Christ three times, is it? No, right? It was just maiden, little girl. It was a girl, a young maiden, a little girl. And he panicked and he feared and he denied Christ three times, correct? It was not, he was not approached by a giant, big, muscular Roman soldier. Three times. He was afraid because he remembered that Christ was talking about Christ keeps saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I will be lifted up. And in those days, you do not want to be crucified. Remember how, how terrible were the descriptions when we did our um, Easter service? It's terrible. He panicked. He feared. Feared very much. But when did he change? In Acts chapter 2, he preached the gospel to the very people who crucified Christ, to the very Roman soldiers and Jews that were there when they crucified Christ. They were present in the crowd. It was a big crowd. They were shouting, they were screaming, they were challenged against him. This time is lots of people, giant, big soldiers there. Did he, did he deny Christ? No. He just preached boldly. Should we over men? And he preached the gospel and he said, you with your wicked hand crucified Christ. <laughs> Before that, keep denying. Why? What's the change? Sujin, why do you think he changed? What made him not fear death? Why? Why do you think? Jason, why? He what? The promise of resurrection. Did he see Christ's resurrection? Did he see Christ's resurrection? Did Peter see witness Christ the resurrected? Many times, right? He spoke with Christ, the resurrected Christ. He saw with his own eyes Christ crucified. And then Christ met him after resurrection and repeatedly met him, right? had breakfast with him. When he realized the resurrection, he did not fear death anymore. Christian, why are you fearful? Think of the resurrection. The communion of saints with the resurrection of Christ must give you a strength, must give you a courage to not fear anything and to not live for anything else. From then on, Peter never looked back. He never denied Christ. In fact, Christ told him after his resurrection. What did Christ tell him at the resurrection, at the breakfast, when he made fish for them? 
at, um, by the beach. He said, Peter, you are going to be crucified. <laughs> he told Peter how he's going to die. He told Peter, after he asked Peter, you love me three times, they said, Peter, you're going to be crucified. How would you like that? It didn't bother him anymore because he saw the resurrected Christ. So by faith, we fellowship in the resurrection of Christ. Okay, so why do you live for the things that are going to be burnt away, my friends? Why? They are so temporal. Think of this glorious resurrection. Live for that. All right, finally, um, E. All right, E, the glory of God. Um, turn back to Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3. Right, let's read verse 21. 1 2 reading. Uh, let's read 20 and 21. 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, what is this saying to us? That now, the Apostle Paul said, I look forward to um, heaven and look forward to the return of Christ. Verse 21, because when Christ returns, he's going to change our vile body, this sinful flesh, this corrupt body, that it will be fashioned like his glorious body. The Christian will receive the glorious body like Christ. When Christ resurrected to his disciples, he had the glorious body. He's the first to have the glorious body. He walked through walls. He, he flew between heaven and earth. He could eat. He had a perfect body. A body that does not have sin. A body that um, is perfect. So we are going to have that one day. So this is the glorious body. But that is why we talk about glorification. We will be in the presence of Christ. In His glory. And one day we will have the glorified body. That is the final final consummation of our salvation. Okay, so I ask this question. Uh, Sujin, why do you want to have the glorious body? Why do you look forward to that? We can have continuous fellowship with God. Um, okay, meaning, why does a Christian look forward to that? Because sometimes you go to a nursing home, then you talk about glorious body, then you talk to them, uh, you can get up from the wheelchair, you won't need the wheelchair anymore, Christ will give you the glorious body at the resurrection. Um, are we trying to tell them, look forward to no sickness? Because this glorious body will have not have sickness. Why will it not have sickness, Ben? Because it's sinless. Well, why do we want the glorious body? So that we don't have aches and pain, don't have this dislocation, that location, this dislocation, that location. You don't have all this pain. You don't have all this um, gastric pains. You don't have all these sufferings. So I don't have to go for this operation, that operation. No, because we will have a sinless body. Are you tired and sick and tired of your sinless body? I hope you are. No, no, I love my sinless body. I love to sin. So the glorious body, that is the fellowship of the saints in Christ. 
Alright, so God says now look forward to all this. Look forward to all this. But you know, I do want to answer one question because this question always tend to, tend to trouble people. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Oh. Um, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Let's read together. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Okay, so, I ask you this question. Now, what does this refer to? Does it mean we can lose our salvation? So, a Christian who say, I don't want to suffer, um, and I compromise, or I fall into sin once in a while, then I'm not willing to suffer, then I will not reign with him means I've denied him and he will also deny me, means I will be denied entrance into heaven. Does it mean that? Shalin, what do you think? No. So what does it mean? Because you say, if we suffer, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Have you denied Christ before? Yeah. One way or another, we must have. Um, sometimes out of fear, we deny Christ, we disobey Him, and do something which we know is sinful because we are frightened. So does it mean that He will deny you? You stand before Him and then say, Sherlyn, do you remember that time you denied me? I will now deny you before God the Father. Father, I do not know Sherlyn. <laughs> is that going to happen? He says what it is. Not in that sense. So what would it be? Can you think of people who have denied Christ? But he saved. Denied him very terribly. <laughs> Peter, right? The cock crowed two times, three times, right? He denied him three times. What was Peter not saved after that? Peter was saved. Christ, Christ, um, Christ went to him and restored him in fellowship, not in relationship. All right? So there are those that deny um, out of fear, but it is not a permanent denial because Peter was very mournful after that and he was very sorrowful. Right? Who denied and is not saved? Judas, correct? An example, Judas. Judas would not repent. He sorrowed a fleshly sorrow, that's all. He would not turn to Christ. So Judas is an example that people who permanently deny Christ. Are there such people? You, only you know in your heart, are you a true believer or not? Right? Are you a true believer or not? Um, so here are those permanent deniers and those, there are the, those that fall into sin. May God help us not to fear anymore, but have fellowship in Christ. Okay? Now, um, I think I'll stop here because from here then we are going to develop the communion of saints. Okay, from here, now we know our fellowship, our communion in Christ. Then from there we are going to develop and understand our communion with saints. And then put the whole thing together and then we see the picture of the Christian life on earth. Okay, the communion of saints with Christ, first and foremost, is very, very important.
we must think much about that. You are in communion with Christ. Do you understand that? Do you fathom that? Do you know how much that should mean to you? That you are in communion with Christ. But it is with His grace, His sufferings also. His sufferings also. But look forward to the glory. Let us pray.